Oh, you'll have to bear with me. Three, third preach this morning. I've not done that before. I'm uh, flagging, so, you know. Yeah, come on, Tim. Yeah. Um, for those of you who weren't here last time I preached at the 11.30, my name is Tim. I'm a, as you've heard, member of the pastoral team, but also a member of the youth team. And by day, I am a criminal defence lawyer, as I fessed up last time. <laughs> now, I have to say that when I announced that, there was a lot of looks of disbelief around the room. So, there you have proof. Now, I'm not sure whether that photo will make you less likely to believe that I'm actually a criminal lawyer, or more likely. But there are two lessons to be learned from that photo. One, the pastoral team are very good at screenshotting you when you uh, zoom in live from the old Bailey to a pastoral team meeting. And secondly, if you make the mistake of asking your wife to find a picture of you in your lawyer's gear, ask to see it before she adds it to the PowerPoint. So there you go. So, without further ado, now, it is actually quite relevant that I'm a, a lawyer this morning, as you will see when we get to the reading. So let's, without further ado, look at God's word. We are, as you know, in the middle of a series on Galatians, and my reading this morning is from Galatians 3, 1 to 14. So let's go. First of all, you may recall when Phil preached that he talks about the language that Paul uses and says, you know, it might come across as one of those emails you write and wish you'd recalled. Um, I think twice in the space of the opening three verses, he calls the Galatians foolish, he accuses them of being bewitched. But I actually think he chooses his language very carefully because this is an important topic for Paul. And the topic is saved by grace, continuing in grace. So let's look at what he has to say. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Great start. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask... Does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited, credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified by God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on the faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. 
There was quite a lot to unpack there. You can imagine my delight when I opened that up and read that the law's a curse and anyone who relies on the law is under a curse. And I thought, I wonder why Phil's giving me this preach. Don't worry, I'll be having words with him when he gets back from holiday. But I was quite relieved when I sort of dug into it to find out that the law Paul is referring to here is not the law of the land, the law that I am involved in. It's the Torah. And for those of you who don't know what the Torah is, the Torah was the religious law of the Jewish people. It was a great long list of things that you could do and things that you mustn't do. And they saw their membership of the Jewish faith as defined by their observance of the Torah. So they would observe the Torah to show that they were Jewish and as such saved as a member of God's people. So why is Paul talking about this? Well, to set the scene in context, there was an ongoing dispute between Paul and his followers and a group of influential Jewish Christians. And these Jewish Christians were saying that as a sort of add-on to salvation, non-Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, so probably the majority of us in this room, had to observe the Torah. It was almost like it was an extra thing that they needed to do in order to secure their salvation. And Paul, on the other hand, was preaching a different gospel, a gospel more familiar to us. He was preaching that when Jesus died on the cross, he created a new multi-ethnic family, entry into which was secured by belief in Jesus, not by belief in the Torah. And that when we believe in Jesus, we are given the gift of grace, and that's the badge of membership of the new family. Now, they didn't like this, so they accused Paul of all sorts of things, of misleading people. They said, oh, people didn't hear him say that. They've misunderstood what he said. Who is he anyway? And so what happened is there were a series of meetings between Paul and various of the other disciples because they were being swayed by these Jewish Christians into um, observance of the Torah. And Paul chose one particular aspect of that to draw a line in the sand, and that was circumcision. In order to be Jewish, the Torah said you need to be circumcised. And these Jewish Christians were saying to the non-Jewish men, the Gentile men, if you really want to be saved, you need to be circumcised. And that's where Paul drew his line. So he had a series of meetings with the disciples and he gradually persuaded them around to his view of the gospel. And then he hears that the Galatians, a group of churches in Turkey who had originally come to faith through his preaching, were encouraging the male members of the church to get circumcised. Now, Paul knew that this was a really important issue for the early church. They needed to get it right because it would um, dictate the way that the church went. And that's why he uses this language. He is absolutely exasperated and wants to get over to them how important this issue is and in his words, how foolish they are being. And I thought of a story to illustrate that. So... The story of a man called Blondin, who you probably don't know, you may know, who was a famous tightrope walker in the 19th century. They didn't have Netflix in those days, so they would hang out with people doing incredible feats. 
Blondin's amazing skill was he was a tightrope walker. A really good tightrope walker because his most famous feat was to walk across a tightrope that had been slung from one side of Niagara Falls to the other. So Blondin trots across this tightrope, gets to the other end and thinks, well that wasn't that impressive. I know, I'll do it backwards. So he walks all the way, watch him not to fall off, backwards. And he thinks, well that's still a bit lame. I know, I'll persuade this guy who I've just seen in a top hat to jump on my back and I'll walk back again with him on my back. And I thought, wow, that guy has got an incredible amount of trust in Blondin as a tightrope walker. I mean, I'm not getting on the back of any of you lot to walk across a tightrope from here to there, let alone Niagara Falls. So he must have had complete trust and confidence and faith in Blondin. So off they go, they do it. But imagine what would have happened if they'd got halfway, and I don't even know his name, so we're going to call him, as I have done all morning, Mr. Top Hat Guy. Mr. Top Hat Guy decides when they've got halfway across, you know what, Blondin's getting a bit wobbly. Oh, I'm not sure I trust him anymore. Taps Blondin on the shoulder and says, it's all right, mate, I'll take it from here. And gets off. Now, if you were members of his family watching this, you might have similar emotions to Paul you might think what is he doing you might be a little bit worried you might be scared you might be absolutely exasperated thinking how could he be so stupid stay on Blondin's back and Paul is effectively saying to the Galatians you have set aside what has taken you most of the way you've lost trust in the one who has carried you this far and you've got off and all of a sudden you think you can do it under your own steam and that's why he is so desperate to persuade them of the error of their ways. Just like Mr. Top Hat Guy's family, he's worried for them. He is really worried. So what he does is, he explains to them what he sees as three differences between grace and the spirit on one side and the law and the flesh on the other. To try and convince them to go back to where they were and get back, essentially, on Jesus' back. First one, he says, the law relies on our own efforts and grace, however, relies on the character of the Father. An amazing truth, but one that we can often neglect. What he says to them is this, look, the really important question is, what do you think it is that makes you members of the family of God? Are you gaining your membership through following the Torah, getting circumcised, or is it because of faith and the gift of grace from the head of the family, which comes out of his character? Which do you think it is? He says, essentially, are you going to trust God to get to you to the other side, or are you going to abandon him and try and get over under your own steam? Because that's what following the Torah is. It's saying... Thanks for getting me this far, but I'll make the rest on my own. And he says, that's a lack of trust. You know, and I was thinking about this, and I think sometimes we can be a bit like that, can't we? That our trust can start to get a bit wobbly. Because the problem with faith is that we can't really see it. It's not, you know, look, here's my faith in my hand. Hebrews tells us that. Hebrews 11, 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for 
and certain of what we do not see. On the other hand, circumcision is tangible. You know, you're either circumcised or you're not. And if that's the badge of entry into the kingdom, you know one way or the other. Paul is saying, look, it's nothing to do with that. It's faith and grace that get you in. You know, and I was thinking about this and I was thinking back to the first time that the reality of grace and the enormity of grace became real to me. I'm in a football field in the 1980s with thousands of other people and Billy Graham is preaching the gospel. I had no concept of grace or faith or any of that. And then it hit me right between the eyes. And it changed my life forever. And he is saying to the Galatians, the minute you were saved, what was it? Think back. What was it? Was it the Torah or was it that amazing grace? You know, we sang it in the words of a hymn this morning and it's a hymn that takes me back to that field. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And he is saying to the Galatians, cast your mind back to that amazing moment when grace became real. Is it grace or is it the Torah? Because we all like a little bit of an insurance policy, don't we? Oh, grace is great, but I'm just going to do a little bit extra. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'm going to go to every single church meeting. I'm going to be kind even to the annoying people like that Tim Brown. I'm going to serve. But the problem with that is we will slip up. And when we slip up, in comes self-recrimination. In comes doubt. Paul says, that path leads to despair. Don't fall into that trap. You were saved by grace. Continue in grace. Because grace depends on the character of the Father not on your efforts where are you going to put your trust in a God who is amazing full of love full of grace or your ability to stick to rules and regulations you know there's a great book what's so amazing about grace which I read not long after I'd been saved by a man called Philip Yancey and he addresses this question of grace being too good to be true. There's, you know, the idea that there's no such thing as a free lunch, because essentially that's what grace is. You don't have to pay for it, it's free. Jesus has paid for it. And he says this, grace is free because the giver himself has borne the cost. We all get a free lunch because Jesus has paid for it. So when you think it's too good to be true, that's why it seems too good to be true because we're not used to getting things for free that aren't a scam you know it pops up on the internet doesn't it follow this link and you'll get a holiday hundred thousand pounds eternal life they're scams we know they're scams we hear about grace and we think wow that is too good to be true how can that be free it can be free because someone else paid for it Number two, the law holds us to account when we fall short, but grace 
covers our failings. And here Paul is nailing the law. Because what he says is true, isn't it? And it says this in Romans, Romans 3.20. For no one is put right in God's sight by doing what the law requires. What the law does is to make people know they have sinned. The law's job is to tell you you've messed up. If we didn't have laws of the land, we wouldn't know whether we'd broken them. They are there purely for when we mess up. That's the only purpose of the law. Nothing else. It's there to say, you've broken section 111 of the Theft Act or whatever it is. And it's the same with the Torah. You know, you've not observed the Sabbath this week. <sighs> you know, you ate this food that you're not supposed to. You hung out with these people that you're not supposed to. It's there to tell us when we've messed up. Now, one thing that you and I and everyone in this room has in common with every person over the age of 10 in the United Kingdom, and you probably didn't know this, kudos if you did, is that you all have an entry on the police national computer. Yep. Many of us, it will just say, not convicted. I regularly sit in front of young men, old men, young women, old women, and that's not what it says. It is a catalogue of failures. And to sit in front of a young man or a young woman who is 28 and have to run through pages and pages of a police national computer printout, which will say when they committed the offence, where, what it was, which court tried them and what happened to them. Number one, move on to number two. Where, when, what where you were tried and it's heartbreaking as you run through those and you see them crushed by the weight of their failures looking them in the eye it is heartbreaking and they will say to me I'm never going to escape this am I my life is going to be forever defined by what some anonymous computer person has put in that printout. Yes, I did those things, but I am never getting out from under it. And that is despair. That is the purpose of the law. It's to say to them, look what you did. Look how you messed up. And Paul says, nah, that's not grace. That's Why would you want to live like that? Why would you want to exchange the freedom of grace for that? Grace will cover your failings. It's like Jesus gets that police national computer printout. He crosses out Tim Brown. He writes his name and says, you're all right, son. Off you go. I'll take those. Now, I've had clients who will say to me, it's all right. My brother will tell him he did that. Always stops when they, I tell him, he doesn't know he's going to prison. Oh, no, he won't go to prison. Can you not get a fine? No, it's prison. Oh, I'm not doing it. Jesus doesn't look at what the punishment is. He just sees your name on the top. Done. Why then, why, says Paul, having received that gift, do you look at it and type it all out again and put your name back on the top? Because that's what the Galatians are doing. 
you starting to see why he's exasperated? Just, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, great, great scripture. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So much richness in that. Grace saves you through faith. You didn't do it yourself. You don't need to keep doing it yourself. No works. It's the gift of God. Back to that Philip Yancey quote. Grace is free because the giver's borne the cost. Just amazing. You can almost see Paul. What are they doing? It's free. You know it's free because it was given to you at the beginning. Now what are you doing? The third difference. The law is sterile. The spirit comes when grace abounds and what do we mean by that what he's saying is the spirit the spirit of god the holy spirit is powerfully active whenever and wherever the good news of god's grace is announced the spirit comes wherever grace abounds 1 corinthians 12 says this no one can say jesus is lord except by the holy spirit the minute you say Jesus is Lord and you accept him and you receive grace, the Holy Spirit comes. And he says this to them. When you were saved and the Spirit of God descended upon you, was that the Torah or was that grace? And he says, and the continuance of the Spirit, all these miracles you've been witnessing, do you think they come from the Torah or do they come from grace? Because the two go hand in hand. The Holy Spirit is a gift to us the minute we get saved. And it's not a gift that goes away if you don't pray or if you don't come to church on a Sunday. I'm not suggesting for one minute that you don't do either of those things. And we'll come on to that in a minute. But it doesn't disappear. It's with you. It's inside you. Amen. The Holy Spirit is a gift. But it's not on 28 day approval where if you don't look after it, I'm going to take it back. And he's saying to them... God gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit the minute you were saved. You've still got it because that's what's doing all these miracles. It ain't the Torah. Just such an amazing truth. Now, what I am not saying and what Paul is not saying is that your behaviour doesn't matter. Let's get that out of the way. He's not saying, as some people did when they misinterpreted grace, you can do whatever you like because grace will cover it. When we get saved... Our behaviour should change. The promise of scripture is that when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is come. When we genuinely believe in Jesus, we want to do what scripture tells us. But it's a matter of perspective. Our change in behaviour is a consequence of us accepting Jesus. It's not a precursor. Now what do I mean by that? We become Christians, our behaviour changes. It may take time. It may not all happen at once. It may never all happen. But our behaviour, we are new creations. Our behaviour changes. The old's gone. 
It's not a case of behave yourself for a while and we'll see. We'll see. That's not how it works. It's a consequence of salvation, not a precursor. And that's what is so mind-blowingly amazing about grace. It is, you know, it's a simple word and we think we all know it, but it is just mind-blowing because it is so counterculture. And I'm pretty sure that's why the Galatians, even back then, struggled with the idea. Because in some ways it seems a bit unfair. What? These people have done all these horrible things and I've only done this and yet we both get the benefit of grace. You know, it is scandalous. It is scandalous, but I'm thankful that it is. I am thankful. You know, I needed a lot of grace before I got saved. Some of you may be sitting there thinking, you know, I wasn't that bad. I am glad that grace covers everything. I really am. You know, that's where Paul's frustration comes from. You know this. You know grace. But you're not living in it. You are trying to rely on the Torah when actually the central core of being part of Jesus' family is a gift. It's a gift. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to earn it. You are returning to slavery instead of living in freedom. Because as, as we've seen, the law will just bang you in the face with where you've messed up. It just will. The whole theme of Paul's plea to the Galatians is, look, I know it seems too good to be true, but look at the evidence. The Spirit came when you were saved. The Spirit is still here. That was nothing to do with the, the Torah. Absolutely nothing. And again, another quote from Philip Yancey, which perhaps sums it up better than I can. And he says this, God loves people because of who God is, not because of who we are and what we do. And that is the crux of it. Crux of it. So where does that leave us in Bedford? Hundreds of miles from Galatia, which is in modern day Turkey, and nearly 2,000 years from Paul writing this letter well the reality is that nothing's changed absolutely nothing has changed faith is still key to the gift of grace grace is still free it is still free and it is still mind-blowing and as a result of it being so mind-blowing we can really struggle to get our heads around it we know all the scriptures we know what grace is in our head but we don't know it in our heart so we slip back into trying to rely on our own efforts. As I was praying and preparing this, I, I, I just felt God speak to me about two groups of people. We're gonna go into a ministry time and I'll hand back to um, Andy and Katie, but the two groups that I felt God really speak to me about were these. People who strive, constantly trying to earn God's pleasure instead of living in the freedom that was won at the cross. Constantly beating themselves up because they don't feel good enough you know, we don't have to be perfect. Newsflash. We don't have to be perfect because we place our trust in one who is. I will never be perfect. I am so grateful that Jesus is. And he loves me, my imperfections, 
and I don't need to strive for his approval. Secondly, there's those of you who believe that the Father only sees you through your PNC, whether it's the world's PNC or a Christian one that you've created. You have created your own PNC and you've written down all the times you think you've let him down and gone wrong. You want to work in, walk in freedom, but you really struggle to believe that grace is so amazing that it, that it can cover your particular PNC, your faults, your sins. You know, Jesus has written his name in the top of that one as well. The great thing about grace is it covers our past, our present and our future. Every time we walk out of this door and we mess up, whatever that is, however big, however small, it's covered by grace. All the things that we've done. And for you, if that's you, the gift of grace is freedom from the past. You know, grace is amazing. It does seem too good to be true. But the bottom line is, it is true and it's free for everyone. Before I hand back to Andy and Katie, I just want to pray those words over us from Amazing Grace. You know, and my exhortation to you is cast your mind back to the moment you first experienced that mind-blowing grace of the Father that says... I'm going to take this, you don't need to worry about it, I'm taking this, off you go, you walk in freedom. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see, Amen.